Hello everyone, this is Saqib, uh, welcoming you to another episode of Tennis with an Accent. And today, adding to the accents uh, are Susie Reid uh, from UK and Mark Nixon uh, from Denmark. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Let's get right into the action. Uh, it's been a busy transition, you know, from a tennis weekend into uh, tennis that's already being played today. Uh, so, Susie, uh, I know you followed the weekend on and off. You, you yourself were playing a match. Uh, uh, what's your uh, recall of, uh, you know, the events with uh, Hashinov winning and uh, Diego Schwartzman winning, Elena Svitolina winning? There were like five winners, I think, on, on both tours combined. Uh, how do you re- recollect this uh, progression in, on both tours? And uh, what are your takeaways from Schwartzman win and uh, Hashinov over Pui? I think it's actually been a really interesting couple of weeks, not just week, a couple of weeks. The first thing that I've really observed during the month of January is that there are remarkably few WTA events compared to ATP events. And in some ways, I think the results can reflect that, that the much more rested players in the WTA have actually been very successful. So if you take Svitolina as an example... She absolutely stormed through the Dubai draw. If you look at Petra, she was very fresh going to St. Petersburg. She stormed through that draw. She was very fresh, therefore, going into Doha. She stormed through that draw. Caroline, who obviously we'll talk about later, I thought, first of all, she was remarkable for even going to St. Petersburg after the enormous mental and physical triumph of coming through in Australia. You know, when you think everything that she's been through to finally get that slam, for her, it was monumental. And to actually then show up in St. Petersburg, fantastic. Okay, she didn't win it, but she showed up and she played. She then went to Doha and actually got to the semi-finals. Remarkable achievement. The more rested players, I think, have really shown that they have come through. I think that Pui did, has done remarkably well. I think that Diego did well. Um Sophia was a bit of a kind of odd tournament, if you like. It was a bit of an outlier and Bazit came through of, of a really quite a, um, not a dull draw, but a less interesting draw. Um, team, exceptionally well in Buenos Aires. Great to see the young guns in Delray coming through, Tiafo. Um, Kevin back to form in New York. And then to come to your more interesting one, Diego, I think that he is ready for a big season on clay. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. He's definitely one of those guys who was in the shortlist and now he's even in a selective, selective shortlist because, uh, you know, obviously we don't know the status of uh, Djokovic and Wawrinka and Murray and Federer is still undecided on clay. So Schwartzman is definitely one of the guys who can gain some confidence and uh, be a potential threat to, to Nadal's uh, uh, dominance. So let me pose a question to you, Mark. I know on your Twitter commentary is pretty. Uh, you know, you don't you you don't really you know uh, focus on some of the popular narratives. But when you see a guy like Schwartzman, we all know he can play. So do you think it's time we stop mentioning his size because a lot of these TV commentators keep bringing he's five seven. I think he's a phenomenal player, and we all know he's five seven. But there's so much more to his tennis uh, than just. I have to admit, I don't follow the ATP that much. Really, I don't. <laughs> so I, 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 I can't even recall seeing him play, actually. So I really can't comment on it. No, no that, that, that's totally fine. And then uh, yeah, maybe... I'd I'll- just like to mention with, with, uh, about the point Susie brought up about, um, about the rested players. That's so true. I mean, it's, it's, uh, they, they just have more, more petrol in the tank. Uh, and they could just perform at a higher level as a term after term. I think it's really interesting looking at how full the February, um, the end of January and the February program is for the men. There is a tournament week in, week out. Yeah. And obviously you get players like Pui who've entered for two, three in a row. There's no way he performed adequately throughout those whole three weeks. So, I mean, actually, Sakib, you and I had a discussion about Pui, whether this season he's finally going to start performing outside of France and away from home. And I think that this week in Dubai is a key week for him. I do. I think he survived a very tricky match against Gulbis today because uh, he had, you know, been playing indoors yeah. and Gulbis had already two matches under the belt. It's just the Gulbis forehand, mm-hmm. which, you know, has been a no-show for like four years now. 
if Kulbis had some consistency, I think Pui could have been in trouble. I mean, that would have been a very uh, testy match. But then Pui, you know, his serve came to the rescue. Whenever I think he faced break points, he had like two aces. So that, that's a good sign. And now, interestingly, to your point, he probably was on the same flight back with uh, Hashinov, who he played in the final, and they will play in the second round now. Yeah, it's good to see Hashinov coming back to form because, I mean, he has been as high as, I think, 29.30 in the world, and now he's sort of 20 places off that. It's good to see him coming back to form. I'd like to see some more variation in his game Um you know, sometime soon. But the fact that he can actually have that confident run and actually defeat Pui, what was it, 7-5 in the third, that that augurs well going forward into the season, getting some confidence. It's all about getting a few wins and then riding that confidence. Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, like in American football, there's a saying, you know, any given Sunday you are as good as the last Sunday. And I was guilty of uh, crowning Sasha Zverev, Davis Cup resurgence, and then you pretty much, you know, corrected that, you know, we still have to see uh, to take full stock into his progression. And you were absolutely right. He's still patchy. Uh, he looks brilliant in a world beater one week and then he looks, you know, out of sorts the next week. So uh, it's, it's, it's a process we must not forget, uh, I think, in most cases. I, I I think you're right, Siki, but actually, interestingly enough, you're almost echoing what Federer said to him when he bumped him into the dressing room in the Australian Open when he had that loss that, in a match that he should have won. And he actually said, you know, it's a work in progress. How old is he? 20? 21? I can't even remember. He's so young in the scheme of the ATP. These A lot of them are not actually sort of blossoming until 27, 28, even older. Um and there is a lot of pressure on him. He's been labelled the next big thing. He's been labelled the next slam winner. One day at a time. I think we are we are all guilty of the narrative, even though we try to stay clear, but we can't help it because, uh, at least I can't help it. I can't speak for others. A lot of times you do get caught up in the whole discussion of like one result and we magnify it so much and then, you know, the cards come falling next week. So, uh, I know mm-hmm. you and I have talked about Zverev and somewhat Svetlina. Let me ask, you know, Mark, uh, a WTA question because uh, Svitolina is someone who's in the last year is also pretty young and has been winning a lot of tournaments outside of uh, the majors. So, Mark, what do you think is uh, holding her progress at the big scenes? Oh, God. Now, <laughs> now you're getting me involved in narrative questions, which I really hate. <laughs> I mean, it's just... <clears throat> I mean, it's just experience, I think. Basically, I mean, she 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 seems to have the game. It's just it's just getting the nerves settled on, on the big stages. I mean, she's winning she's she's winning big tournaments, but uh, but when she gets to these uh, ITF fundraisers, as I call them, uh, it just she just it just like she freezes in, uh, for some reason. I mean, it's just it's just experience, really. Nothing else. I mean, it, at some point, she'll just get settled and 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 start trusting her own game which is basically what it is. I think if I can add to that, I, t- I do agree with you about the experience, experience on the big stage, but I'd like to add just a couple of things about Svitolina. She has actually had quite a lot of bad luck in terms of form and fitness coming together perfectly at slams. And if you take the Australian Open, the, obviously the, the recent fundraiser that has passed, <laughs> Mark, she went, in as, she went in as a heavy favourite, Svitolina, you know, based on the fact that she got to however many finals she got to last year, that she looked like she really was performing on the big stage. But unbeknown to most people, she was actually carrying an injury. Um, And so she then had the bad luck of having to play struggle tennis through that injury and not being able to form. And then, of course, your confidence is given a blow. Mm. So, you know, take a break, take that rest, come back. She gets to Dubai. She is perfect. Everything about those that week for her was perfect, her form and her fitness. And this is what tennis is about. It's about actually, you know, managing your body and managing your schedule so that those two things can come together. And for me, that's not a narrative. That's just fact. Right. Yeah, I think it's connected. You're, you're absolutely right. And talking about managing your schedule and body, this was not, you know, a question I had on the agenda. But Susie, I think it's worth bringing up in the podcast. Uh, we've been talking about on Twitter, like Nadal has entered the doubles draw in Indian Wells. So I know uh, this is something, uh, this whole narrative doesn't sit well with you. Uh, so at this stage, you think he should be more careful uh, uh, in 
in, in uh, how he schedules. Uh, I know it's only doubles, maybe, you know, it's a lot of serve and volley. It's not the typical uh, grind kind of a tennis, but still, you think he should be more selective? Or on the other hand, he's airing those opinions that hard courts have been the undoing. So how does that tie into uh, his decision of uh, uh, playing the doubles at Indian Wells? At the end of the day, Sakib, it's his choice. Okay, I'm not going to sit here and judge him, but I'm going to sit and comment based on what he said in Australia, that there are far too many tournaments on hard courts and that the players are being run into the ground, blah, 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 blah. His big target has to be the Indian Wells Miami doubles and for, uh, double. And for me, the warm up for that is the Acapulco singles. Now, if he wants to enter the doubles, then he can enter the doubles. But at the same time, don't then come out and use your, your platform to talk about there are too many tournaments on hard courts and all the players are exhausted and getting injured because of them. You can't have one without the other, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like I think Mark said something on Twitter a few weeks ago because I follow his account too closely. He said, you know, it's very difficult once we have arrived to a narrative to go back, you know, and factor in any logic or reason. Uh, and I think uh, most of us are fans and a lot of times uh, that's how uh, what triggers uh, these kind of conversations. Uh, yeah. So if you're ready, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, there's some change, uh, changes suggested by the ITF for Davis Cup. Of course, uh, the final decision would be made sometime later in the year. Uh, but uh, these are some uh, heavy changes. Yeah. Mark, you want to go first? Oh, boy. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, it's yeah. I, 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 it's it's really it's really weird. First of all, because I mean, the players, from what I gathered reading the keep uh, the French sports newspaper, uh, the, the 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 French Fédération Française de Tennis, the French Federation, they were never informed of this. I mean, and all of a sudden, the players read about this in the press, in a press release, and it seems to me that it's just. I mean, just getting something pulled down over their heads without any kind of discussion about, among the players. It's not something the players have asked for. They've asked, they've asked for a, a better scheduling, but they haven't asked for this end of, end of the year uh, huge tournament after, after the Masters in, in London. And uh, my, my impression from reading the sports press in, in three, four different languages is that the, the players are generally against it. And they and they can't they they don't see how this will attract more players or or top players. I just read uh, I just read Christophe Clary's uh, uh, article in New York Times, which I think is just like it, it just sums up everything pretty pretty well. I mean, he on the one hand he says even if Davis Cup continues to generate big crowds and enthusiasm in several countries, and then he goes on to then he goes on to say in this golden age in the men's game the biggest stars including Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and, and Novak Djokovic, have all been part of winning Davis Cup teams, but yeah. have rarely participated at the same time as one another and have faced each other too rarely in the event. I mean, this, this is what it's about. They're, they're, they're star-based without understanding what the Davis Cup really is about. It's, a, it's, a, it's about team competition and, and supporting your country. I mean, the, in, in Denmark, I mean, which is not a big tennis country, the Davis Cup uh, Davis Cup matches were were sold out weeks in advance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and even in India, growing up, I remember when uh, Wayne Ferreira and Goran Ivanisevic, these guys were coming. You know, Indians are tennis crazy. You know, it doesn't measure up to cricket, but we would uh, eagerly await for those kind of matchups to happen on our soil. And now you're saying. Uh, and India doesn't play World Group a lot these days, anyway. So I know they are probably not part of the part of the mix. But uh, this is not something I think, like Mark said, if it's, if everybody's not consulted upon, this is uh, where does this leave tennis? What what kind of leadership they are? You know, what kind of example they are providing by making these kind of uh, knee jerk reaction? And Susie, let me ask you: You think uh, something has to do with how Labor Cup had a first, you know, popular introduction? So maybe they thought this could. Maybe they took a leaf out of that book and just had a knee-jerk reaction of proposing a World Cup kind of a final weekend or a final week. You think uh, those two tie in? I think there's a, quite a few things going on here. And I've read um, articles by Simon Briggs today and I've read the comments by the, the German Tennis Federation and, and Christopher Clary in the New York Times. Um, 
I think there's a bit of a, a push-me-pull-you going on between the ATP and the ITF. I mean, that goes without saying. It's been going on for quite some time. The ITF are desperate to hold on to power, you know, and Mark will tell you that the fundraisers are, you know, their way of clinging on to power. And then the other um, thing that they have in their armory is the Davis Cup, so that's one thing that I think is going on, this sort of this fragile relationship between the ever-growing and ever-more-powerful ATP and the, the ITF. Um, the second thing is that I think that the, the desire for money is enormous, and I don't think that that can be not mentioned. And I am amazed that actually in a lot of the articles that I've read, it has barely been mentioned. Um, and one of the questions that I have to ask is this, the power of this company that PK has come forward with, you know, where is this $3 billion coming from? Is it being promised all up front to develop tennis in far flung nations that really, really need it? Or is this money going to contribute to further feathering the pockets of the elite um, I know that he went and proposed a sort of world team tennis. Uh, was it a year ago, Sakib? He first proposed that, and that was given a sound yeah, I think so. no, I think. And then the yeah. and then the Labour Cup happened, and I think that yes, that has concentrated their minds. To go back to your original question, I really do think that's concentrated their minds, um, and I think that the combination of the press continuously saying that the Davis Cup lacks stars, which, in my view, I'm in total agreement with you, Mark, is just balderdash. It is a team comp com competition. There are some times when established stars will play. There are some times when up-and-coming stars will play. And there are some times where they will need to use it as a platform for real newbies on the scene. It is a singularly important competition for each country's tennis federation. And it is somewhere where they can develop talent. And you mentioned India and Mark mentions Denmark, which at the moment are very much on the fringes of the world group. But there is no reason why in five years' time they can't be in the world group. So I think there's an awful lot going on. But for me, it's a power struggle and it's a money-based power struggle. Can I just interject something here? Um, I just read in, in The Keep today, for example, that they had an interview, uh, an interview with Nic Nicolas Mahut, uh, or Mahout as, he's, as they say in English, and, he's, and, he, and he's, he says they just they just killed the Davis Cup without players getting in wind of any sort of discussion. And and yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, and Cédric Piolin, who's who is uh, uh, Yannick Noah's yeah. assistant, he, he said DC Davis Cup money is the lifeblood of smaller tennis feds. I mean, how will all this prize money be distributed? Yeah. And and and. And OK, one more thing. And uh, Beneteau, Julien Beneteau, he said that the ITF bosses should have the guts to say only money counts. We're burying the Davis Cup and trying something else. Correct. That's my question. That's my big question. That is a huge thing. I agree with that, because if they are going to introduce a new competition, which, as you said, is going to be in the last week of November, everyone has stopped playing. They've finished the Paris Masters, the two teams that were going to contest the Davis Cup. With the final were the only players that were playing. Um, obviously, it's after the World Tour Finals in London. You know, do they really think they're going to get all these players to show up in Singapore, wherever has first been touted, exhausted? Do they really think they're going to get them to show up unless there is stack loads of money available? Yeah, exactly. And plus, plus, what about the courts? I mean, they're going to be played on hard courts. What about the yeah. clay court specialists? I yeah. mean, they're, 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 as usual, they're going to they're, they're, they're get the short end of the stick. Yes. And what do you guys think of making it best of three? Uh, I know that's a separate conversation. That's total <laughs> logistic. I think, I think it's a separate conversation, as is the fact that they, went, they want to reduce the format to just two singles and a doubles. I mean, it is. Mark is absolutely right. You could yeah. no longer call it the Davis Cup. You are throwing away over 100 years of tradition, you are throwing away the really only serious competitive team event which is played on multi-surfaces in multi-home and away venues, creating interest in very disparate parts of the globe. 
um, you are throwing away competition, which is very important for individual countries, federations. And also what's happening to the sponsorship? BNP, I understand, Paribas, were not even involved in the conversations. I mean, they throw millions into that competition and have done for 40 years. Yeah, that's bizarre, not having them on the tables. But, you know, this is, uh, again, I don't want to use the word shady, but this is not how <laughs> leadership is executed. And when uh, ITF, I think it definitely dropped this one. And uh, I hope they don't mess this up and maybe... Uh, you think, Susie, they'll include uh, the same format for Fed Cup? If well, that that was also something that a lot of people mentioned on Twitter, myself in, uh, included. The ITF is is both both tours. It's both the women and the men. Why is the Fed Cup being left behind in discussions? Um, the Fed Cup is really needs changing the format. It's so difficult to get out of the the zone group competition. Um, you just continuously fall back into it after playoff, playoff after playoff. Um, and the Fed Cup has not even been discussed. Where's the money for that? Yeah, so hopefully, you know, uh, in the coming days, there'll be at least mm-hmm. some more light shed or someone will, you know, uh, answer these uh, these numerous questions which we all are uh, looking at. So, uh, I mean, the overall put some very. Did you see his his Twitter feed today? Some very interesting um, facts about the amount of times that you know the big four, the big five, however many bigs you want to put into the group, have played Davis Cup, and it is huge, you know. But it's not just about Fadal or Murray or Stan or Novak. It's about your country's players, whoever they may be representing you at that point in the calendar in Davis Cup. And, you know, Ben Rothenberg can say it's weird that you have Kazakhstan doing so well in Davis Cup and yet not doing well in what he terms, you know, the normal tour. But I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely great that Kazakhstan come along and slay every time they get a chance to play Davis Cup and we get to know their names and their fans get to cheer till they're blue in the face. It's great. Exactly. And, and then the whole idea of playing in front of a partisan, hostile crowd. It's like a soccer kind of environment. And then a lot of players uh, have punched above their weight. Like I remember, again, going back to, to the Indian Davis Cup team. Uh, Leander Pays, I think, beating the likes of Wayne Ferreira and beating the likes of Goran Ivanisevic. That did not happen on the tour. But when Leander was playing for India, I think those performances uh, were produced. And, and that's magic of Davis Cup. That's something you can't get on the tour. Because normally on the tour, an Indian guy like Pays or even Bopanna when they were playing singles, they would be playing on code 19. They would never make their way to this big of a center stage where there's like a lot of eyeballs and TV coverage. So not only that they're taking away uh, that aspect, but they're also taking away, you know, the global recognition of so many of these players from uh, these lesser known tennis nations. And uh, it's becoming like a show of the top. That's, that's what uh, they're focusing at. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in Denmark, I mean, Freddie, Freddie Nielsen, who's who's like uh, just, uh, he's, you know, he's in the top 200. And uh, but in Denmark, because of his Davis Cup heroics, he's a star. Uh, and plus, plus, plus some of the college players Denmark has who are playing in the U.S. and are actually pretty, pretty top ranked in, in U.S. college. They get a chance to perform in front of big crowds and, and get experience. But that doesn't make the press happy. The press want names the whole time. The whole time. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. That's this. But actually, <laughs> to, 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 to narrow it down, Susie, that's mostly the Anglo press, the English language press. Because I, I, I read press in Romanian and, 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 and Serbo-Croatian and in Russian and in Danish and in Swedish. And uh, that, that kind of thing isn't mentioned yeah, exactly. when it comes to Davis yeah. Cup. It's, it's it's the English tennis press who are so used to Fadal and Djokovic and 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 Murray and and, and Vavrinka that 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 those, those that's tennis yeah. for them. <laughs> so okay, Mark, that was my question, but I think you answered. But uh, I'll still ask that. So you're saying in other uh, languages, there's uh, not as much fascination about the Big Four or Big Five. That's I think created by the U.S. media, or we can even say extension 
uh, UK or English. Oh, well, but there, there is there is a fascination with them, but it doesn't doesn't carry over to Davis Cup. Davis Cup is something else. It's it's the country. It's it's the national players. I mean that that's what it's about. I mean, even uh, I saw I saw this I saw this uh, um, uh, tweet by by Anna Mitrich, where she where she she quoted. Uh, Whereas it was a record-breaking year for the Davis Cup by BNP Paribas television coverage, with the final shown by 51 broadcasters across 171 territories. The creation broadcaster, uh, HRT, saw a peak market share of 32% on Sunday. The 2016 Fed Cup by BNP Paribas final between France and Czech Republic in Strasbourg also set a new record, with a total of 47 broadcasters across 159 territories. That's phenomenal. I mean, I mean and those what facts is the problem? are not put out there enough. Yeah. I mean, it, it, exactly. So let me ask you about this. Susie, you can go first. I know we are all agreeing, but just for the other side of people who probably are happy with this decision. So let me ask you a question. And uh, you think if anything was broken uh, in Davis Cup, I personally sometimes don't like the idea you win in, uh, November or early December, and then you can lose it in February. Are you okay with that? That was my only. Uh, that was my only uh, peeve with Davis Cup pet peeve. But overall, I was not suggesting like a World Cup kind of an environment where all teams get together and you know wrap it up in one week. I'm not against. I'm against it. But uh, did you see anything wrong with the current format? If there was, a- I mean, there are, there are arguments saying that the defending champions should have a bye, but actually. You know what? I, I'm not so sure that I sympathise with that view. At the end of the day, it is an annual competition. Now, the only thing that I have been sympathetic to in the past is making it biannual. You could look at it doing it every two years. Um, but, you know, why should the same teams win every year? Do we really want Spain to come back and win it another four times in a row or the Czech Republic to win it twice in a row? Well, I think Spain won it four years out of three years out of four. Um you know, I was incredibly excited when Argentina won it for the first time, when GB won it for the first time in God knows how long, when France finally got over the finishing line. I don't mind who's playing in the team. I'm excited to see the countries breaking through. Actually, in terms of the change of the format, I like the five sets. I can't say that I was terribly upset by it going to a tiebreaker at the end. You know, in the end, there's only so much you can take of a 22-20 final set and these guys looking like they're absolutely dead on their feet. Um, so as long as you kept the five sets, the tiebreaker didn't really kill me. Um, and so, no, I wasn't particularly unhappy. I'm not particularly unhappy when the big stars don't play. I like to see Steve Darcy playing his heart out. I like to see um, Chudinelli saving as he did Switzerland, I think, last year from from relegation or getting them through that tie. That's 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 good, good news for me. And the app has improved things. I think the app has given, um, it, it's just taken it further as well. It's like Mark saying about the TV coverage. There are so many more broadcasters now, now take, um, covering it. I think the app has helped that as well. I think it floundered slightly in the early 2000s, but I think it's really picked up in the last five years again. Oh, and terrific stats too, terrific statistics. Yeah. Forehand winners, backhand winners. I mean, I love it. <laughs> the same question to you, Mark. Are you okay uh, or would you suggest anything just for the counter argument if there were some improvements that could have been made in the format? Well, well, personally, uh, in contrast to Susie, I, I'd, I'd like to see them go to three sets. I think playing five sets and a lot of these players after, after playing uh, three matches with five, going five sets – and then, and then starting going back on the tour with two days of rest. I mean, I just, I just think that's too tough. I think three sets would be much better. So maybe it is an American narrative because I've been living in the States for 20 years and even like some Marty Fish, they were all happy with this decision. So, I mean, I'm not, but I think this is something we've heard on the Tennis Channel and on the broadcasting here, that the system is broken and they needed a fix. So now we have it, I guess. I was very in, I was very intrigued by that. Sorry, just to dwell on that last point. I am very intrigued the split between the Americans because Andy Roddick was pretty enthusiastic as well as Marty Fish and the Europeans are very anti. But the Americans, what is this? Is this is this a kind of make American tennis great again narrative? I mean, what is it about that the Americans want to have this sort of circus event? 
that to me that's pure marketing nothing else and, and i think just to uh, counter that point i mean mm-hmm. usually you're right uh, fish and rodic are pretty articulate and they just don't go with the narrative or what's popular all the time but even i was surprised to see mm-hmm. their support for this but overall yeah this is being fed uh, through commentary on the major networks uh, you know whenever we have davis cup or tennis and you know john mackendo the self imposed commissioner uh, has said this many times the system is broken you shouldn't lose the cup you know the first month after winning it so i guess there you go so people you know sometimes the subconscious keep hearing something and maybe it ties in or maybe they all uh, maybe all they all have a vision that we don't so let's see how this unfolds and uh, we are already at the half an hour mark so this has been good so far so mark let's bring uh, caroline wozniacki into the equation and uh, i can <laughs> because i've been meaning to ask this question i saw you tweeting a while back okay. and uh, and even i'm guilty sometimes i'm following more on the atp i know she was a former world number 1 and now she's won a major but i didn't know that she had won 43 titles and that's huge not many people win more than 30 35 titles so she won she won no she won 28 titles okay but that's still that's still huge it's a, it's the fourth largest number of, uh, among active players oh, absolutely so has she been treated differently all of a sudden she's a major winner uh, in the danish press and oh in the danish press oh definitely definitely i mean she's she's uh, i mean that that whole thing about never winning a major i mean in in denmark for for years and years the only tennis you saw on tv were the majors i mean that's that's it and uh, and then yeah. the, then you started getting eurosport started broadcasting some wta matches uh in the late 90s and so so but then not a lot of people had eurosport i mean the majors the majors were broadcast on on the main channels in denmark the free ones and not on pay tv and uh, and so that's that's the only tennis they knew and uh, you know in a lot of people's minds if you don't win a major then you're not a real tennis player i mean and being number 1 doesn't mean that much in denmark i mean you win a major I mean that's it and I think a lot of even even a lot of uh, of tennis writers have the same ideas and uh, so she she was just even in Den- you know it, even even if she's like uh, she was on Forbes list of the of the the top 5 most uh, most uh, uh, winning as a most uh, well remunerated tennis women tennis players it still wasn't she still hadn't won a major <laughs> and i i just i would just tear my hair out because i mean jesus i mean she was number 1 for 67 weeks she's won all the big wta tournaments i mean she was she won indian wells and and uh, other other uh, she won peking beijing and but that's not enough and uh, and uh, but now it's like it's now it's like it's now it's now she's won that australian open and uh, and all of a sudden she's being treated as a queen whereas early on especially because of her dad who is a polish immigrant who didn't speak danish very well had a very heavy accent and he's difficult to understand sometimes and uh, he'd go on court and and start advising her and they did sometimes he'd, he'd sound like he's yelling at her or something but when you see what he's actually saying it's perfectly harmless stuff and uh, she she got a lot of stuff for that too and it was like the 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 the, the narrative was that she was just another female tennis player under under the heel of her father you know she was another yelena dokic and and others i mean uh, which was just which just wasn't the case but but nobody understood the polish he was he was speaking so they just assumed he was some, some sort of evil evil genius i mean on the court and just berating her constantly <laughs> but i mean he said himself that uh, and and the treatment he got and which reflected onto onto caroline was that or carolina as we say uh was that was that uh he was just a, just another father who didn't know anything and he said himself that that uh that he he was a bad tennis coach when he started because he didn't know anything he really didn't he was learning with her and uh, and uh, plus the danish press got on him because he had a he, on his passport he had another name than 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 piotr wasnyaki uh because uh, but 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 and they had he, uh, the uh, tabloid press in Denmark got on him and they started saying there was something tricky about him because he was uh, he had a, an apartment in 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 Poland in 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 Warsaw or I can't remember I think it was Warsaw but uh, under another name 
But the fact was, he was working for a Danish clo- a sports clothing company as a salesman, and he was doing and he was covering the Polish market and the Russian market. And it was convenient for him to, for him to have another apartment there to stay when he was traveling. I mean, there's all these all these things. <laughs> so now, Olsen, uh, uh, are they seeing more Danish because you know of the Australian Open win? Uh, has the narrative or has been softened? Has has it changed? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, now now she's now she's now she's the, a really big star. So suddenly she's Danish. <laughs> Whereas when she was starting out, everybody was people were saying, "Oh, she's Polish and she's not a real Dane and all this stuff." But now, and now, some and now she wins the Australian Open, and now she's suddenly Danish. And the and the same tabloid newspaper that was that was on her case for years and years has suddenly changed its tune and have like three, four stories on her every day. <laughs> and is and are they more accepting towards? Piotr as well is he is he given more more of the benefit of the doubt now? Oh, absolutely! Oh, absolutely! But I mean, there was one there's one Danish journalist I I, I, I always translate because because uh, that's that's Fuz um, Christensen. Um, he's he's been following her since she was 14. He's always tried to break through this, and he's interviewed Piotr constantly. But it was just like that. That's that, that just didn't break through in the narrative. But now, now he's uh, now they, they, there's an interview I'm working on where he's interviewed and uh, and he says he he considers himself one of the best coaches in the game right now. I mean, it's hard to argue. Uh, a lot of interesting insights there, Mark. And uh, let me ask you this: uh, Could it be because Denmark didn't have a player of that reckoning for the longest of times? I know I only know Kent Carlson played back in the late '80s. You know when Edberg was playing. Uh, but uh, you think a lot of times these nations, uh, these tennis uh, fans in different nations are just uh, more with the narrative of, you know, majors these days. And and you're absolutely right. Number one doesn't get the respect. You know, people pretty much made Safina and those, uh, you know, Dementieva and some of, uh, even Caroline Wozniacki, they, they were made so uncomfortable because like it was some sort of a fault that, you know, they hadn't won a major, so you shouldn't be number one. So you think that kind of ties up because a lot of, the players who are winning are from different part of the world and as as fans most people are just saying okay you know what defines greatness is just majors the awareness yeah. is totally missing oh yeah i mean it's 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 such a narrow way to look at tennis i mean it really is i mean it's it's like these are four tournaments a year run by another organization uh who, where all the profits from 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 the majors go to those countries tennis federations and that's it I mean, I think they donate something like five five million dollars to the ITF out of the billions they, they generate. I mean, it's laughable. And you start asking, you know, where where does this money come from? And and uh, and uh, it's it's. I think it, it hurts tennis in the long run, especially especially the ATP. And, and now we're segueing into the uh, into uh, Marc Rosset's piece. I mean, it's, it's you have the same four players who are appearing in majors, which are shown in all countries. The same four players continuously winning, and and nobody and so people don't know anyone else. And 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 uh, you, you, I mean, so as you get the smaller tournaments are struggling. I mean, ATP two fifties are closing everywhere. I mean, in the states they're almost non-existent now because nobody knows who these players are, even though they're Americans. And they don't know them. <laughs> and it's... Uh, no, that's, whereas, a, that's a great point because New York, Open, you, know, you can't sell tickets in New York for tennis. You can't really, you know, sell it anywhere in the U.S. And New York Open didn't come ac- across as a big success. You're right. You know, they kept saying they're like big names, but there were no big names in the field. That's I right. Mean, well, people... His name was Anderson. And yeah, of exactly. Don't know if Anderson is someone who's going to put, you know, who's going to fill seats in the stadium, so... Yeah, it is, it is a concern. No, no, I was no, just yeah. going to say, I and think the, the U.S. is, is disingenuous ahead, about tennis. I think that they have never, they, it, you know, it is how how many sports behind the others in America, Saqib, is it the fourth sport, the fifth sport? You know, it's never going to get the coverage. It's never going to get the attention. It is a remarkably small sport con- compared to American football, basketball and baseball, is it not? Yeah, it's the big four, uh, and then there's golf, and then there's NASCAR, and then there's tennis. I think he's like always on the sixth yeah, or seventh. So therefore, if you are trying to 
get the public to be interested in it more than the easiest way to do it the lowest common denominator way is to just bank on names coming through all the time not actually to actually foster an interest in the game per se as something beautiful to watch as something very interesting uh, strategically and tactically to watch as a sport it's about a circus again i come back to this word it is about having stars in that in that ring no i think you're absolutely right but uh, you know i remember when i came to the us and uh, living in india i thought tennis is huge because you you would hear about these tournaments in miami us open when i came here nobody really knew in massachusetts you know like the result of say a wimbledon final i was going to school and then and i remember one comment mackendro or someone made on commentary that stayed with me forever and now it's more clear on these kind of conversations they said besides borg Becker and Rafter were the only two people who had a connect with the American audiences. Otherwise, they always wanted their own, which is fine because yeah. they had a great history. But to sell, to sell for selling power, star power, only Becker and then, and of course now Fedal and these guys have connected in a way like no one else has because you know there's no choice because you know there's no one close to them in greatness. But yeah, th- this was always a very tough market to succeed, and because they have their own comparisons in different sports, and even McIndoe said once. uh that we don't have the talent because we lose some of our most talented uh, sports uh, you know the younger generation to the big four sports and then whatever is left comes to tennis and other yeah sports. it's very tough that's the mindset yeah. i don't know no i have enormous sympathy with that but i i'm not sure that they've really they've allowed it to slide they haven't really i don't know i don't know what goes on behind the scenes but it seems to me that they've continued to pursue the same style of tennis player for quite a while now in america that's a sounds like a horrible generalization but i don't see as much variety as there used to be in tennis in america it's the concentration on this enormous serve on this enormous forehand um there's not enough hand skills there's not enough net skills i don't see as much court craft you know maybe it's because i'm looking at a very narrow um you know example but No no you absolutely you're on to something that's what Tim Mayotte said when he was on the podcast that our guys in Strodic uh, and all they have like a technical flaw in their backhand because backhand is something which tied into you know the movement so they're moving to the shot late and it's compromised and he said he named everyone so from Sock to Harrison there's not many who can really stay in a rally because no one you know at the developmental stage paid attention uh to you know to the mechanics that tie the, the movement it's not a coincidence that all the you know good looking strokes are coming from south america europe or even asia there's something fundamentally missing missing link they have a big serve they have a big forehand but that's where it ends and now with these homogenized surfaces maybe this was a this was a recipe to succeed in the 90s but not anymore and i'm not taking anything away from the american greats like agassi and sampras but there's definitely if you look at an albanian or a schwartzman or a rublev you know or a safina there's like so good to look at their backhands or dementieva or you know you, you you can keep naming but then you look at steve johnson you look at ryan harrison you see you know it's not a productive shot it's not an mm-hmm. elegant stroke i know i mean this is a this is a segue i didn't envision but i guess <laughs> this is how good conversations no when i i mean i i mentioned it that a lot of these players look like they've been sort of spat out of a factory you know and 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 if you didn't have if there weren't something on if there wasn't something on the screen telling you who the players were they just looked the same and it's hard to see the difference i mean see that with a lot of a lot of the wta players i mean you have this you have this group like svitolina and wozniaki and and halep who are who are who are more counterpunchers and then you get the types like uh like uh others who just like hit hard mm-hmm. the ball's near you hit it as hard as you can somewhere I mean and that's it. Uh, you know, and they they're, they're pretty fast and they cover the court well, but that's there's 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 no like court craft, there's no creativity, there's no uh, it's like I mean Nadal has brought this up and Wozniacki did too. I mean people people like long rallies where there's like a chess game on court. I mean that I do even, you know, I mean players who just hit hard and that's it. I like a long rally if I can see that there's something going on. I don't like a yeah. long rally. I think that somebody picked up on some 45 stroke rally between was it Sasha Sasha <laughs> Zarev Sakib and somebody the other day 
And it was basically they were hitting it down the middle of the court, yep. 35 out of the 45 shots. Now, that is not a good long rally. A long rally that I can really get into, say, between a Kerber and a Wozniacki or a Halep and a Wozniacki, when every corner of the court is yeah. being played and then they're doing something, a slice and then they're doing a topspin and then a lob comes in so they can get back to the centre of the court and then they do yeah. a, um, a very, very tight angle drop. That's a good long rally. But these ones where they basically, and Sasha Zarev, actually yeah. going back to the very beginning of our conversation, Sakim, he can be very guilty of this, is just this continuously hitting the ball down the middle of the court and just kind of like not making something happen. Yeah. You just ask, you ask yourself, what was the purpose of that shot? Why did you hit that shot? Yeah. And yeah. Instead of just, just getting the ball back. And I was just adding, there's a lot of times there's no, it seems like there's no backup. Like same, I had the same feeling yesterday when Ferrer was in his, in his zone, like, you know, he was uh, not missing many balls and Rublev didn't have a place to go. He kept hitting back back at him. And I was going to say, are you going to try something else? Because it's not working. And then, of course, you know, it was late at night. Yeah. Uh, I didn't st- uh, stay with that match. I saw the result. Uh, Ferrer won pretty handily. But uh, absolutely, yeah. You, uh, it's, it's becoming a hitting sport. It's not a moving sport. Like, you know, it was in the back in the day. The footwork is, it's, they're more athletes. I think skills have been compromised. We can obviously have another podcast on this. And a lot of people say athletes are better and it's more skilled today, but I disagree. And there's a reason. Uh- funnily, funnily enough, if I may just slightly interrupt, because I am very old and I have been watching tennis for a very long time, I actually think that the women's game has become more about movement. Um, and the tennis that mm-hmm. you see now yes. on the WTA Tour um, is highly evolved to where it was when I was watching Chris Everett against Martina. Um, And that is partly because they have been given the benefit, obviously, of great equipment, great strings, but they have become great as well. So the combination of those two has led, I think, to incredibly entertaining WTA tennis. And I, just as a very small example, I think that this season – Obviously, putting Federer to one side because that's been a story all of its own, and and it's no it's no secret that I'm a big Roger fan because he has a complete game. But actually, the WTA tennis for the first six to eight weeks of this season has been much more interesting. It's been fascinating to watch because oh, you've yeah. got Wozniacki finally breaking through, and you know showing everyone that she is not only physically fantastic, but also that she has kept it together all those that length of time has had at the very very beginning, and has finally climbed that mental mountain. You've got Halep, who actually take my hat off to her, has had all those disappointments and is still coming out fighting. You've got Kvitova, who's come back incredibly after the most appalling accident, and just just you know that fantastic mind of hers. It's just, this is what I love. This is what I'm going to enjoy. I'm going to go out and I'm going to make hay. Muguruza looks to be fitter than she's been. You've got Svisselina. Kazakina, who I love to watch. She's got this fantastic natural feel to the ball. And it's been fun, the WTA. It's been great fun. Now, I have had people saying to me, Serena is not on the scene. Therefore, this has all been, you know, good. It's been allowed to happen in that way. You know, there are there are yes and no's to that. I don't know what you think about Serena not being off the scene and allowing the WA to, to flower, as it were, more. Um, but I have enjoyed the WTA supremely this season so far. Yeah, I, I think Mark can probably add a you know parting uh, note on this conversation in the podcast, but I think it's going back to the Mark Rosset article. ATP, in a way, if there's no Federer, is being presented with a bill of its own deeds. I mean, if, if, if this was, if this indeed was a strategy on their part, now they are so desperately looking to replace this golden era they created. And uh, we don't know. Uh, I mean, it, it looks promising on a day with Shapovalov and Kyrgios. There are personalities and there are games. But then, like you said, it's not matching up to what the, what the ladies are throwing out in terms of you know, skills and, and you know, mental toughness, match play and the quality. The overall package is far superior. And also that there are so many of them to watch. You know who are do who are producing these 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 great moments yeah. of form and these great runs and there are there are big rivalries now being built. I think that's very exciting. Anyway, may I just interrupt both of you and say that this is the first time this has happened in a podcast, but there is actually some breaking news that Nadal has pulled out of Acapulco. Yeah, 
Oh, I really? know that okay. Dennis Shanlon, it's just it's, it's just been announced, and actually, here they are even saying that he is doubtful for Indian Wells and Miami. Oh boy! Oh boy! I mean, yeah, oh boy, yeah. Well, exactly. But it just shows. I don't know. I call it a lack of depth in the ATP. I mean, this you had this huge gulf between between the top four or five players, and then the rest of the field. I mean, whereas if, if you look at the, the the WTA, I mean, it's like even that you can go, you can have the top eight, which which are competitive with each other. I mean, anyone can win on any given day, and and uh, you can extend that to the top twenty. And uh, on any given day, I mean, you can these surprises happen one time after time after time, and whereas in the in the ATP, it's like. I mean, who's after the when the top four or five aren't playing? I mean, what is there that's interesting to watch? There's really not much. I think there's there's less consistency. There's less consistency. So team is always you know to be the next yeah. big thing. But actually, he is clearly a fantastic player on clay, but has yet to you know really make his mark on the other surfaces. Although actually, he did better than anybody last year, didn't he? In terms of slam appearances, Saki, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did okay, but again, you know, he's, he's falling short in terms of expectations. Yeah. You know, he's not winning that match that matters. He's not making that quarterfinal. So, but yeah, you're right. He he, he did okay. So I think uh, we covered a lot of ground today. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, I know uh, it's pretty late in in uh, in Europe, so uh, it's still you know six p.m. here. Yeah, I'll, I'll be up later too. I'm watching Acapulco now. WTA Acapulco on on uh, Romanian diggy sport. <laughs> okay yeah so yeah thanks for doing this and i'll i'll release this uh soon because susie just like susie mentioned finally we have breaking news you know we we don't get that because these podcasts are recorded and normally i release it in, in a day or two but i'll try to get this out like later tonight okay super uh thank i mean I, I i go back to my original statement don't play unless you're fit and healthy yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah some wise words in this yeah <laughs> I wish you both well.